Chapter 13. Noteworthy Fasts in the Bible By studying the fasts recorded in the Bible, and how God responded to those fasts, we can get a better sense of what our own fasts should look like. Below are a handful of examples for your reference, provided in chronological order. Moses fasts before receiving the Ten Commandments. Exodus 34, verses 27 through 28. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 9 through 18. The very first fasts recorded in the Bible are ones we are literally incapable of repeating without miraculous intervention. When Moses met with God on Mount Sinai after God thundered the Ten Commandments, Moses was there for forty days, and he neither ate bread nor drank water. Deuteronomy 9, verse 9. While he was on the mountain, Israel broke its covenant with God by worshiping a gold calf. When Moses came down and saw their sin, he broke the tablets of the Ten Commandments in anger. After dealing with the Israelites' sin, Moses returned to Mount Sinai to receive a second copy of the Ten Commandments. During that second visit, again Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Exodus 34, verse 28. Human beings are not designed to go forty days without food and water, but Moses was in the presence of God during his fasts. He was, for a brief period of time, the living embodiment of the idea that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Although Moses' fasts happened during a unique circumstance that we can't repeat on our own, the principle behind those fasts is an important one. Bread isn't enough. Food and water keep us alive only physically, and the physical things aren't really the important things. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. Moses was about to spend 40 years in the wilderness leading a people that God continually referred to as stiff-necked. See Exodus 32, verse 9, 33, verses 3 and 5. He absolutely needed spiritual strength to face the trials that were ahead of him. Without a doubt, Moses' fasts refocused him on the importance of spiritual things. Our fasts can do the same, even if they can't be quite as long. David fasts for the life of his child. 2 Samuel 12, verses 15 through 23. In one of the more gut-wrenching stories of the Bible, King David had drifted away from God and, in the process, committed a series of horrific sins, including, but not limited to, adultery and murder. These are recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. David repented of these sins after being confronted by the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 13, and although God forgave him in verse 13, there was still a penalty for his sin. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is also born to you shall surely die. Verse 14. When God afflicted the child and he became sick, verse 15 ESV, David began a fast, pleading with God for the child, laying on the ground and refraining from eating, verses 16 through 17. Any parent can at least imagine how David must have felt to be begging God for his child's life. But more than that, he knew his child was dying as a direct result of his own wicked actions. It's hard to imagine that kind of grief. Despite David's pleading, God did not allow the child to live. At the end of seven days, David's servants were afraid to tell him the awful news. They had watched his desperate fast, and they were concerned that he may do himself some harm. Verse 18, ESV. Specifically, they were afraid he would kill himself. 
Instead, David did something incredible. He arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Verse 20. His servants were puzzled. Fasting was a sign of mourning. But David had fasted while the child was alive, and after his death he went back to eating. David explained, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Verses 22 through 23. David wasn't indifferent to the death of his baby. He had, after all, just spent an entire week pleading for God to change his mind. But after receiving God's answer, David chose to do the hard thing and worship God anyway. He accepted God's decision as right and just, and he expressed his renewed dedication to following wherever God led him. The end of this fast is a glimpse into why, even after committing such heinous sins, God called David a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Acts 13 verse 22. David's fast reminds us of three things. Number one, sometimes God's answer is no, or not yet. David's child will live again in the second resurrection. Number two, sometimes the consequences of our sins are inescapable. Number three, we worship God anyway. Elijah fasts before speaking with God. 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 18. Through Elijah, God executed judgment on the servants of the false god Baal. After a spectacular miracle during the evening sacrifice, the people of Israel fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 1 Kings 18 verse 39. Then they captured and executed the 450 prophets of Baal. When wicked queen Jezebel heard about it, she swore to return the favor, telling Elijah, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. 1 Kings 19 verse 2 Elijah panicked. Even in the aftermath of God's miraculous intervention, the prophet arose and ran for his life. Verse 3 Collapsed under a tree in the wilderness, prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Verse 4. Elijah was tired and scared. His perspective was skewed. He wasn't seeing the situation clearly. He was an emotional mess, and he needed recentering. Instead of killing Elijah, God showed him compassion and understanding. He let the prophet sleep then sent an angel to provide Elijah with some bread and water, telling him, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Verse 7. Elijah obeyed, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 8. His divinely provided meal sustained him for forty days and forty nights, and God brought him to the same mountain where Moses had also fasted for forty days and forty nights. In the Bible, Horeb is sometimes used as an alternate name for Mount Sinai. Like Moses, Elijah found himself in God's presence on Mount Sinai. When God gently asked, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 9, Elijah answered, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Verse 10. Elijah felt overwhelmed, under-equipped, and outmatched by the challenges God allowed. He felt as if he were the last living servant of God. Instead of leading his people in a spiritual revival, he was stuck running for his life and wishing for death. But Elijah still had work to do. God ultimately pointed Elijah back to that work, verses 15 through 17, correcting an important misconception. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Verse 18. Elijah appears to have found strength and clarity after his fast. Things weren't as bad or as hopeless as he thought. Given that renewed perspective, he followed God's instructions and got back to work. We all get worn down and discouraged from time to time. Fasting puts us in closer contact with the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, who neither faints nor is weary. Isaiah 40 verse 28. But it doesn't just put us in contact with God. He also promises to share that strength with us. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40 verses 29 through 31. As it did for Elijah, fasting can help us find a renewed sense of purpose, perspective, and strength in our walk with God. The Ninevites fast after hearing Jonah's warning. Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. God sent the prophet Jonah with a warning to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah 1, verse 2. Nineveh was a capital city of Assyria, and the people of Israel were no strangers to its wickedness. A century later, the prophet Nahum would be divinely inspired to call it the bloody city, full of lies and robbery. Nahum 3, verse 1. He concluded his book by asking, Who has not felt your endless cruelty? Verse 19, NIV. And yet, when Jonah brought God's warning to Nineveh, the people did something incredible. They repented. The Bible is filled with prophets who warned God's people to repent. And usually, God's people ignored those prophets. They continued in their wickedness, which inevitably resulted in their destruction or oppression. See Jeremiah 26, verses 4 through 6. The Ninevites were not God's people, and yet when they heard God's warning through Jonah, they believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Jonah 3, verse 5. The king of Nineveh proclaimed a citywide fast that included even the livestock in the city. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verses 7 through 9. What happened next? God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse 10. There's more to the story of Jonah, but this facet of the story shows us that God is a merciful God who wants to see us repent and turn from our evil way. 
He tells Jonah that, in spite of the city's wickedness, he had pity on Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Jonah 4 verse 11. Jesus himself used the Ninevites as an example of repentance when criticizing the Pharisees, saying, The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Matthew 12 verse 41. Esther fasts before speaking with the king. Esther 4 verses 1 through 17. God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it. A convoluted series of events resulted in a young Jewish woman named Esther becoming queen of the entire Persian Empire. Coincidentally, just before a prestige-hungry egomaniac named Haman became the king's right-hand man. Out of pettiness and spite, Haman set in motion a plan designed to eradicate the entire Jewish population of Persia, not realizing that Esther was also secretly a Jew. When Haman's plan became public knowledge, the Jews of Persia reacted with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther 4 verse 3. Esther initially felt powerless to intervene. She had no actual power over the kingdom. That power rested entirely with the king, and anyone who approached the king without an invitation, including the queen herself, could be put to death. Esther knew what she needed to do, but she was afraid. The idea of putting her own life on the line without any idea what would happen next was terrifying. But in the end, the words of her cousin Mordecai stirred her to action. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Verses 13 through 14. Mordecai knew that God would take care of his people, some way, somehow. But he also recognized that God might have placed Esther as queen specifically for this moment. Maybe she was where she was because God had a role for her to play. If she ignored that role, she tried to duck her head and hide while her people suffered. Then the fate she was hoping to avoid would catch up with her for certain. That pushed Esther into action. She was afraid, but determined. Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Verse 16. Esther, along with all the Jews in the Persian capital, fasted for three days to request God's intervention. And he did intervene in a powerful way. The king spared Esther's life, and God gave her favor in his sight. When the king learned that Haman's plan would endanger the life of his queen, he had Haman executed and authorized the command for the Jews to defend themselves against any attempt on their lives. Esther had come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Through fasting, she found the strength and confidence to go where God was leading her, and in the process, save countless lives. We may never find ourselves in a circumstance as desperate or as dramatic as Esther found herself in, but her story is a lasting example of the importance of trusting God, even when we're afraid, and the important role fasting can play in that process. Daniel fasts about Jerusalem's desolation. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. When King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and took the people of Judah captive, he ordered his servants to abduct young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, 
who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Daniel 1 verse 4. Daniel was one of those young men, pressed into the service of the king who had plundered his homeland. God was with Daniel, and Daniel served successfully under the reign of multiple kings, and even multiple kingdoms. The kings he served couldn't help but see that in him is the spirit of the holy God, Daniel 4 verse 8, and often relied on his God-given ability to interpret visions and govern the land. In time, Daniel came to understand that God had set a timer on Jerusalem's destruction, that by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, he had promised to accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem, Daniel 9 verse 2. When Daniel realized this, he was an old man, and the 70 years of desolation were almost over. In response, Daniel wrote, I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Verses 3 through 4. In the course of this fasting and confessing, he acknowledged, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 8. In confessing the sin of his nation to God, he acknowledged that God was just and good, and that the blame rested squarely on the people. Verses 9 through 15. He also prayed for God's forgiveness and restoration, asking God to cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 17. Praying that he would hear, forgive, listen, and act on behalf of his people. Verse 19. In response, God dispatched the angel Gabriel to provide Daniel with divine insight. And Gabriel told Daniel something important. O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Verses 22-23 Gabriel didn't waste time coming. Daniel said he came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Verse 21 ESV But his arrival wasn't instant either. It's an important reminder that even if our fasts don't result in immediate changes, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Within a year of Daniel's fast, the 70 years had concluded, and God prompted King Cyrus of Persia to issue a decree that would fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy. It was time for the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Ezra fasts for protection during a dangerous journey. Ezra 8, 21-23 After God's temple had been rebuilt in Jerusalem, Ezra the scribe prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra 7 verse 10. But before he could teach in Israel, he had to travel to Israel. Ezra was traveling to Jerusalem with nearly 1,800 men, many of whom were accompanied by their wives and children. It was a potentially dangerous trip. But Ezra wrote, I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Ezra 8.22 Instead, Ezra and his company proclaimed a fast, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Verses 21 and 23. That's all the detail we have about Ezra's fast, but it tells us everything we need to know. Ezra and his people needed God's protection. They humbled themselves before him to seek it, and God provided it. Whether that meant foiling the plans of the enemy on the road or simply showing the people the best paths to take on their journey, 
we know that God kept them safe. Like Ezra, when we face dangerous or unclear roads in our lives, real or metaphorical, we can count on God to show us the right way forward. Taking the time to humble ourselves through fasting is a great way to seek that guidance. Nehemiah fasts after hearing the condition of Jerusalem. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. Decades after the temple in Jerusalem had been rebuilt, a Jewish captive named Nehemiah came to prominence in the kingdom of Persia, serving as the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. The cupbearer may have been a rather influential, prestigious position. The king had to trust his cupbearer with his life, and the cupbearer would have spent a great deal of time in the king's presence. When Nehemiah inquired about the condition of the Jews who had been resettled in Jerusalem, he discovered that the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah 1 verse 3. Nehemiah's response was raw and emotional. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 4. Nehemiah fasted as an expression of his grief for his brethren, who were living in great distress and reproach. His fast was also accompanied with a prayer of repentance to the Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Verse 5. Asking God to grant him favor in the sight of the king. Verse 11. God answered that prayer emphatically. About four months later, while Nehemiah was serving Artaxerxes during a wine feast, the king couldn't help but notice Nehemiah's grief. Nehemiah 2 verses 1 through 3. That led to a conversation, which led to Nehemiah being appointed governor of Jerusalem, which ultimately led to the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls and gates. Would any of this have happened if Nehemiah hadn't been fasting and praying before the God of heaven? It's impossible to say, but it is clear that God used Nehemiah in a powerful way after seeing him humble himself and request God's intervention. Sometimes, when we're faced with impossible situations that are beyond our ability to influence, fasting brings us to a place where God can use us to make an impact we never could have made on our own. The Jews fast while repenting of their sins. Nehemiah 9 verses 1 through 3. After Nehemiah successfully led his fellow Jews in their efforts to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he spent the next few decades helping them to spiritually rebuild themselves. This wasn't an easy undertaking. The book of Nehemiah is filled with political intrigues and spiritual backsliding, with Nehemiah pouring his energy into trying to help his people stay faithful to God. With the wall rebuilt, Ezra the scribe, who had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel, Ezra 7 verse 10, was put in charge of reading to the people from the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel, Nehemiah 8 verse 1. Ezra read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse 3. During their captivity, the Jews had forgotten about many of God's instructions. When Ezra read from the book of the law, it was an emotional event. Many of those who gathered to listen may have been hearing God's word read for the very first time in their lives. Confronted with their own failure to live up to God's standards, all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Verse 9. After rediscovering and observing two of God's festivals, the people turned their emotional response into action. The children of Israel were assembled with fasting, in sackcloth and with dust on their heads, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers, 
And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Nehemiah 9, verses 1-3 through For the Jews under Nehemiah, the act of fasting, coupled with repentance, prayer, and study, became part of the springboard that propelled them to recommit themselves to the covenant God had made with them. Verses 5-38 through contain a heartfelt song of praise and repentance offered up by the people, ending with their renewed dedication to serving God. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Verse 38. For the Jews of Nehemiah's time, fasting was not an end in and of itself. It was a prelude to action. They saw the sins that had led to Jerusalem's destruction. They humbled themselves through fasting and confessed those sins to God. And then some of them made changes. They walked away with a renewed commitment to understanding and obeying God's word. Used correctly, fasting can do the same for us. Jesus fasts before confronting Satan. Mark 1 verse 12, Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11, Luke 4 verses 1 through 13. We place a great deal of emphasis on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and for good reason. That sacrifice is the only thing that can pay the penalty for our sins the only key that can unlock the door to our future as sons and daughters of God. But the sacrifice wasn't the only pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. At the very beginning of the Gospel accounts, we're given a glimpse into a spiritual battle of epic proportions. Before Jesus began his public ministry, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, Mark 1 verse 12, where he would be for 40 days tempted by Satan, verse 13. There is an intensity to the Greek word for drove. Jesus was not just casually led into the wilderness. Jesus Christ had come to earth as the Son of God, the perfect, blameless sacrifice to be offered for the salvation of the entire human race. If Satan had convinced him to sin, to compromise with God's law in any way, then his sacrifice wouldn't have been perfect. If it weren't perfect, we would be hopeless. You and I would still be dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2 verse 5 ESV. Our ultimate fate would be the eternal death penalty we've earned through our sins. This battle in the wilderness helped make certain that we would not end up with a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4 verse 15. So we should take special note of the fact that In order to equip himself for this confrontation with Satan, Jesus fasted. For forty days and nights, the Son of God ensured that his spiritual connection with the Father was as strong as it could be, and he did it through fasting. We also can't overstate the role that Scripture played in this confrontation. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus deflected the temptation with passages from the Bible. He tempted Jesus through an appeal to hunger, and Jesus answered with Scripture. He tempted Jesus through a misuse of Scripture in an appeal to pride. Jesus answered with correctly interpreted Scripture. He tempted Jesus by offering him all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus answered once again with Scripture. Fasting is a tool that draws us closer to God, but it also depends on our listening to and speaking with Him, that is, study, prayer, and meditation. If we neglect that foundation, then fasting becomes far less valuable as a tool. Jesus already knew the scriptures. Fasting didn't somehow implant the knowledge in his mind, and it won't implant anything in ours either. We have to put in the work ourselves. 
See chapter 7 for ways to get the most out of your study time. Our confrontations with Satan are never truly finished in this life. After the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Luke 4 verse 13. Satan didn't give up. He just withdrew temporarily. Resisting the devil by submitting to God, see James 4 verse 7, is something we'll have to continue doing for the rest of our lives. Fasting can help us find the God-given strength to do it. The disciples fast while appointing church leaders. Acts 14 verses 21 through 28. After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples were faced with the daunting task of the commission he had given them, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. More than just spreading the gospel, this meant that the disciples would have to work on establishing and nurturing congregations of Christian believers. It quickly became obvious that they faced the same problem Moses had faced. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Exodus 18, 18. Just as Moses learned to delegate some of his responsibilities, the disciples also realized, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Acts 6 verse 2 ESV. They began to appoint others to care for the physical needs of the congregations in verse 3 so that they could continue spreading the gospel. In one such instance, the Bible tells us that Paul and Barnabas returned to the congregations in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 21-22 But they didn't leave the congregations to fend for themselves. Instead, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 23 The Greek word for commend has to do with entrusting something to someone else or placing something before someone. As part of the process of commending these leaders to God, spiritually placing them before God and entrusting them to His service, the disciples prayed with fasting. Since they had the Holy Spirit, they fasted to seek God's will, instead of casting lots as had been done before the Holy Spirit was given. See Acts 1.26. Other passages in the Bible make it clear that the disciples were looking for model behavior from anyone serving as a deacon or elder in the church. They were looking for men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Acts 6 verse 3. By praying and fasting about their decisions, it seems they were looking for God's assistance in putting the right people in the right positions. When we have big decisions to make, it's important to look for guidance from the Lord who knows the hearts of all, Acts 124, trusting Him to help us see the things we can't see on our own.